and minimalists. <laughs> Live from the Astor Theater, my name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists live in Perth. Oh my God, if that doesn't wake me up from a long flight, I don't know what what would. (laughs) Uh, we've got a microphone right here. We'll, we'll start with like three or four questions and then we'll see how we're doing on time. Um, man, I'll tell you, this, this city was special for us in 2014. It's been four years since we've been in Australia. Uh, the first time we were here was 2014. We had a book come out called Everything That Remains. And we did this crazy 100-city tour, 119 events. And the very last city was Perth, Australia. And we decided to, to come on back again because we liked it last time. We figured we'd like it again. And so far, it's been outstanding. Thank you for being here tonight. Well, Josh, it looks like it's going to be a truly minimal podcast. <laughs> Howdy, what's your name? Hi, my name's Duffy. And Ladies I'm and gentlemen, Amanda. Jessica Lynn Williams. Hi. Thank you, ma'am. What's your name? Duffy. Hey, Duffy. Hi. Where are you from? Uh, Mandra, which is about an hour down the road. Well, thank you for making the, the ride. I appreciate that. I think you came further. <laughs> a little bit. Did you? you can get closer to that mic. It's a bit low. That's all right. There you go. Thank you. Um, how are you feeling? I'm uh, uh, getting over something. There was a guy that was coughing on the back of my head for 15 hours on the flight over here. So I'm trying to recover from that. Um, You talk a a lot in the podcasts. Thank you. This is true. Yes. We dance a lot too, but it's not a video podcast yet. So. Thank you guys for being the other two men that go to bed with me with my husband. Hey, Sean, can you isolate that for later <laughs> and we'll just use that in some sort of drop on the podcast? Uh, you're welcome. And sir, I'm sorry. <laughs> you talk about um, using your short-term actions that reflect your long-term values. Yeah. And um, I've been looking a lot about values. And if you go on the internet, there's some interesting stuff, your YouTube videos, and some silly stuff that suggests that um, if whatever your goals are, you've got to attune your values to them, which seems silly to me. It should be the other way around. You've established your core values and then other values. You talk about having the same types of values. Did you work them out independently of each other or were you sat together when you started to establish what those values were and are there some of the values that you've got that aren't the same so so the first part of that question is did you work them out independently or together and the answer is yes to both Uh, it really started with working them out independently and then bringing it together and saying, oh yeah, you know, I didn't realize that that was one of my values, but now that you're mentioning it. So whether that was with Ryan, we, we wrote our first book called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And um, we identified those five foundational values or what you were calling core values there. Um, and, and so whatever the, the foundational values are, 
I think they're pretty universal. Um, health, relationships, creativity or passion, growth or, and contribution, right? And you can use different words to describe those things, but ultimately I think those are everyone's foundational values. Now you might have, say I have other foundational values as well, and I say, great. Um, but then on top of that, you sort of build your structure, and then I think that's where values start to change. Um, so, so you go from the foundation to the core. Core values can be something that, that is truly important to your life, and it's going to be slightly different from the people around you. But there's going to be, if you have like a Venn diagram between the two, there's probably going to be enough overlap between me and Ryan. But then the, there are other values, like the, the sort of aesthetic values, the, 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 the facade of the house, to continue that analogy. And... And those values may be considerably different. So you have a similar foundation, you have a similar structure, but the exterior of the house sort of looks different. And then there's this up in the ether, there's what we call imaginary values. And I think Ryan and I actually had the same imaginary values for a long time too, right? The things that we say are valuable to our lives, but then you you realize like, oh shit, I'm on social media two hours a day am I actually getting the, 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 the commiserate value with the input that I put into it? And, and the answer is generally no. And so I think you tend to have the same sort of foundation, the same structure, but, but what makes life interesting are, are the things on the outside that are different. Yeah, I, when we first started the website and you know, we had 52 people show up, it was great. And like someone sent us uh, an email and they're like, hey, um, you guys should write a book on this stuff. And we're like, eh, maybe. And then a year later, after getting a lot of requests, we were like, you know what? We are the minimalists. Maybe we should write a book on minimalism. And we sat down and, and we, we certainly worked out those, those values together. I, I think uh, very similar to what Josh just said, um, when I was explaining to him what really uh, added value to my life or, or what meant a lot to me in my life. Um, just so many things overlapped. So what we did is we um, were able to kind of wrap both of our things up or both of our values up into, into those five uh, core values that we, that we list out in, in the book there. Um, certainly we do have differences. Um, I mean, we, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, we have different political beliefs. We have different, religious beliefs. Um, I love barreling down a mountain on a snowboard and Josh would die if he did that. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a really, I, I like the relationship we have and the differences we have because I think that's what kind of makes us um, just have an all around, like a well-rounded relationship. Um, it's like, I, I always tell people, I'm like, man, you know, when I, if I write something, I bring it to Josh and I'm like, hey, look at this like piece of gold I found. Like, could you melt it down and make it into that nice shape that you do? And, and, and Josh does an amazing job at that. So, um, you know, I, I think that having, uh, f- being friends uh, with people who have different personalities, it's, it's really important. Um, I find myself, especially when we were living in Missoula, Montana, I just, and during like the whole crazy political stuff that went on, like I did not realize how much of a bubble that I lived in until it all hit the fan. And I was like, I just didn't even see it coming. And I got, I got into a taxi today on the <laughs> way over here. 
And I shit you not, the first thing the taxi driver asked me, he heard my accent, and he said, do you like Donald Trump? I'm like, I, do these doors unlock? But, 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 you know, waking up and going like, oh my God, like, why, why was I not more in tune with this? It really kind of helped me wake up to actually reach out to more people who don't necessarily have the same exact values and beliefs as me because I want to understand their values and beliefs and, and their perspectives. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Howdy. I live in Geraldton, so I've driven five hours. Holy yeah. shit. Thank you, Blanche. That's awesome. <laughs> With a, um, a little three-year-old who whinged the whole way, so it was fun. <laughs> um, but I've, I really want to thank you guys for um, starting this. I started a, a few years ago when I first saw your documentary, and my husband's still very reluctant, but he, we've gone, we live in a small house. It's... 10 metres by 12 metres, so it's quite tiny. Ryan, that's like uh, three football fields. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to do the math in my head. I'm like, a metre is almost a yard. (laughs) We're not trying to derail you, but in my talk, I talk about like the square footage, and I'm like, like, Josh, do I need to convert that to metres? Or like... (laughs) I'm like, I think think they understand that 10,000 square feet is just a gigantic garage. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, we live in, um, so it's a two by one, it's converted with just a tiny little house and we've really had to embrace it because we don't have the space. And even my husband, who, as I said, has been reluctant, can see how much happier we all are. I live with my two boys and my husband and the benefits have definitely outweighed it. It's been amazing. But I um, also run my business just from a tiny little, so this sort of size, Room, And I'm really trying to make it a minimalist type business. And I guess my issue has been when I need a product or I get an order for something, I'll often get orders for things that I'll need five centimetres of it, but I have to order over a metre of a product. And that order's covered the costs of it, but do I hold on to that stuff in, you know, knowing that I'll probably get an order in a, you know, a few months' time, do I store it? Do I get rid of it? I just, it's, it's so hard to run a very minimalistic, do, yeah. Do you buy toilet paper? I do. Okay. <laughs> um, do you buy like one roll at a time? <laughs> I don't. I, the, the reason I ask is, I mean, I, I guess theoretically you could buy it even one little sheet at a time if someone would sell those to you. Um, just ration it out. Your husband gets three this week. Um, that is a horrible business idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I've got, you can support the Kickstarter. No, I, um, the thing is that, like, I, I like to delineate between just-in-case items. During my talk, I was talking about, you know, all these, you know, the three most dangerous words in the English language are just-in-case, right? Because we use those three words to justify everything. Oh, I'm just going to hold on to this just in case I need it someday, or I'm going to buy that because, you know, it's on sale right now, and, you know, who knows? I might use it just in case. I'll get it now while it's on sale. And so we use that, that phrase to justify holding on and purchasing tens of thousands of items over our lifetimes. And, and the truth is that 
those just-in-case items, we actually don't ever end up using. But there's a different type of item as well. It's a just-for-win item, right? So if there's just-in-case on one side and it's really just an excuse for hoarding, the just-for-win side of things is like, I'm going to buy more than one roll of toilet paper because I'm certain I'm going to use it over a, a period of time. It's just biology. <laughs> and, and so I know that I'm going to continue to, to, to purchase toilet paper, so I'm going to continue. But here's the thing. I don't have space to buy a pallet of toilet paper. And so I think the question you have to start asking isn't, should I buy this? Is, the question is, is this amount appropriate for the space I have? And if not, then I have to either try to buy less, even if that means paying more per square meter, centimeter. <laughs> um, I, I believe me, I know the system makes a lot more sense than whatever the hell we're We're just really with. ignorant, and we apologize. Yeah. Dumb American alert. Um, yeah, and, and so... Um, I think I think the question is, what is appropriate for for my life given the the, the space that I have? Um, Bex and I and, and Ella, we we moved to a apartment now that that has slightly less storage than, than the space before, and so I had to take that into consideration last time I went out buying you know paper towels just because I'm like, oh crap, I can't buy the you know eight now I have to buy the four or whatever, and so it's what's appropriate for the space that I have. Yeah, you've got a business, and I don't, I don't really, you don't have a minimalism problem. I think you have an inventory problem, and that's a good problem to have as a business owner. Well, this inventory problem is a good business uh, to have as a business owner. Um, what I would suggest is if you are trying to uh, create a more minimalist business and you're trying to figure out how to kind of apply that, uh, that mindset to your business, I would start with... Um, well, first off, it's, it's not wrong to hang on to that stuff for the reasons that Josh just explained. So if, if you have stuff spilling into the home, like I would find a way to put your inventory somewhere that isn't you know, all over the house. Um, and you know, I think businesses should have inventory. Like I, when I order a pair of pants, like I hope they have them to send to me and like I don't have to wait 12 weeks for them to make them. So I, I, you know, I totally understand where... Uh, businesses would have to have inventory. You could also do things like implement rules like, all right, um, I have this half a meter of material left over and I'm going to put it in my, you know, wherever I have allocated for my inventory and I'm going to put it on the, the shelf uh, right here for, on this day and if I don't use it in the next year, then I'm going to go ahead and donate it. I mean, you could at least you know, give it to someone else and, and find it a new home. Someone else could get value out of it. I'm just throwing a year out there. It might be 30 days. It might be 30 years. I don't know. But, but I think that is how you can apply minimalism to a business is start to kind of create your own boundaries and rules that, that help you to maintain a clutter-free workspace. And, and yeah, because if you hold on to all the inventory, you're going to have to get a bigger house, which is what you guys don't want to do. And two, two business book resources for you, two minimalist business books. One is by Derek Sivers. It's called Anything You Want. It's 88 pages, and it is the best book you'll read this year. And uh, another book called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. 
And I think both of those will, will help you better identify the, the, what is essential and then also what's non-essential. I think often we trick ourselves with many of the things that we think are essential, but they're actually just kind of junk. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Howdy. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Outstanding. What's your name? Meg. I'm a local from Maylands. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming out tonight. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I've written my question down. I'm a bit nervous. I hope that's awesome. okay. Awesome. <laughs> that's great. That's perfect. Cool. Um, I just wanted to start by saying thank you. I watched your documentary and then I started listening to all your podcasts. Um, I've been able to reevaluate my life. Um, and I think I've found a better version of myself because of your influence. So thanks for that. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. So my question is, my partner and I have just started saving for our first home. He's quite new to minimalism and I'm probably about a year in. Um, and he seems to have grasped the idea to not go overboard with, I suppose, what we can afford. Um, I keep thinking if we spend that little bit more in a house, it'll be nicer and we'll inevitably be happier. Um, in the long run. I know you both had a different transition into this lifestyle, but I was wondering if in the beginning did you struggle? And if so, how did you overcome the idea of needing to own a flash big house rather than being content with something within your means? Any advice? <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so, so there's a little confusion there, so let me try to clear it up. Um, if you spend more money on a house, it, it will be nicer. You, you're, you're probably right about that. But it won't necessarily make you happier. In fact, there's very little correlation between you know, the, the luxury and happiness. Now, there might be more comfort added there, but comfort can actually lead to discontent uh, in anything that we do, right? If we're absolutely comfortable, uh, there's a book by David Foster Wallace called Infinite Jest, and one of you has it on your bookshelf but hasn't read it yet um, because it's 1,100 pages. But... The, the sort of MacGuffin of that book is uh, it centers around this piece of perfect entertainment, a movie called Infinite Jest. It's so good that it's fatally good, meaning people who watch it end up dying because they do nothing but sit there and continue to watch it on repeat. That's extreme comfort. We entertain ourselves to death, or said another way, we, we comfort ourselves to death. Uh, my my four-year-old carries around a very tattered security blanket, right? It's her piece of comfort, right? But it is not the security blanket that keeps a person secure. It, it's 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 really our, our mindset and how we how we view the world. And so, security in that respect is is a bit of a misnomer. So. If you spend more money on a house, will it be nicer? Yeah, but, but maybe you can't afford what nicer is right now, and that's okay. The house that you end up in right now, this, this week, this month, next year, uh, it, it's impermanent, right? Um, now, we can be there for as long as we want to be, but I would, I would caution you to not... Here's the thing. Our banking system in the Western world does a really good job in not selling us what we need, but selling us what, providing what they need. And so I remember I built my first, how old are you? 23. Okay, so I built my first house when I was 22. And um, 
they didn't ask me, how, do you, how are you going to live your life? How do you want to use this house? How long do you plan on being here? Uh, do you plan on having kids in this house? Instead, they said, how much money do you make? And then we'll try to back into a number that is appropriate. What, what do we think the maximum amount of money you can afford based on what your current income is? The end result of that is I built a way too large house in a suburb with a yard that I had to take care of and, and a, literally a white picket fence. And that was not appropriate for me, right? And so instead of letting someone else dictate what is appropriate for me, I wish I would have gone into that situation and said, okay, how do I plan on living my life? And can I build a house around that life as opposed to trying to cram a life into someone else's design of a house? Your question made me think about uh, <clears throat> when I moved out of my... 2,000 square foot house into, I don't even know what the square footage was. It was like 600 foot or something. I mean, it was, it was way smaller. Um, it was way not nicer. I can't, I'm so jet lagged. Like my words are hard to use right now, but it, it was, it was not nearly nice of a place. And from day one, I never resented that, that little or smaller, um, just it was more run down. It really was. Um, my friends came over after I got the place because they were. They, well, first off, they were friends. Um, but after you know, I moved in. They're like, "Oh yeah, let's see your new minimalist home." And like, I remember um, my uh, my buddy and and his buddy coming over, and he was like, "What are you doing, man? Like, this isn't impressive." I'm like, <laughs> "Exactly. Like, I'm not trying to impress you, dude. Sorry." But, but I guess what I'm, what I'm really trying to get at is I loved that place because of what it allowed me to do. It allowed me to free up debt. It gave me more time. Really helped me find out who my real friends were. Um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was just laced with amazing benefits. And I would encourage you to f focus on those benefits and really ask yourself, why do you want the nicer house? If it truly is like, oh, you know what? It's got this one thing that I can't live without. And then, you know, maybe you and your husband can, you know, find a way to make it work. But if the reasons are because you want to impress your family or you want to impress your friends, that's the wrong way to impress friends and family. Um, that is, uh, it's, it may, might be the easiest way, um, like short term, but long term, Buying a huge fancy house to impress a bunch of people who, if they really love love you and, and want you to be happy, like they're going to be impressed with you and support you no matter what. It doesn't matter what type of house you have. Are, are you familiar with the, the, the term, the hedonic treadmill? Okay, so, so it, it basically just means we adapt to whatever comforts we bring into our life. I'll give you a quick uh, local example here. Um, we got to Perth a couple of days ago, and... Uh, uh, time zone thing was, was uh, we're still trying to figure that out, apparently. Um, but they uh, put us in these hotel rooms, and, and you know, they're nice hotel rooms, but I had to change rooms for a, re a reason, and they like downgraded my room. But I had already gotten used to the comfort of the previous room, 
And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, shit, why'd they put me in this smaller room? It doesn't have the same view of the Swan River like the other one did. And I'm like, and then I got there, and I actually, I breathed a sigh of relief, though, because I had done that several times before. I had downsized, and I realized, like, I'm actually more comfortable in, in this space. And, and, and what I've realized is, some of the places that I've experienced the most joy, the most contentment, um, the, the, the best life ha- has been in not a tiny home necessarily. I applaud people who do that. I think it's great. But in, in an appropriately sized home. Because the weird thing was when I had the huge house in the suburbs, I felt compelled to fill every nook and cranny of that house. So if you get the bigger, nicer house, you're going to feel like, oh, I need to fill every room. Even if you do end up in a house that's bigger than what you want, though, also realize that you don't have to fill up every, every inch. You're complete even if the room isn't. That's pithy, Jess. <laughs> that's good. Jo- the hotel story reminded me. Um, so what, what I would challenge you to do if, like, you're in this tiny house and you're waking up and you're like, man, I really wish I had that nicer house. Try and find, like, go out of your way to find something that you really, really appreciate that you have in your neighborhood, in your home, even if it's your, like, just waking up, you know, next to your husband and, and, and appreciating that. But I know, like, we, we moved from Montana, which is the most beautiful place. Go to Montana. Don't go to New York City. Don't go to Chicago. Go to Montana. You will love it. Um, to, to Los Angeles, which is beautiful, but it is not Montana. And I got to tell you. Way better. <laughs> I got to tell you, m- me and uh, Mariah, like we will wake up and there are certain times where, especially when we first moved there and we're like, you remember that, those mountains we used to wake up to all the time? You remember how, like, how awesome that was? And then I quickly would remind myself, hey, Ryan, you live in one of the nicest neighborhoods in the world, man. Like, you have access to everything. And yeah, you don't have mountains, but there are so many more people here. I mean, I, I literally have to change my mindset and start to um, go out of my way to find the beauty in my surroundings when I start to get down on myself. Because I can look in the mirror and be like, Ryan, if you're going to complain about a mountain of you, like, you're, you're kind of just a pretentious asshole. So, so... I can be honest with myself, but I can also find that beauty. The other thing I would say, too, that really, really helps me is I do ask myself on a regular basis, like, how have I shown Mariah, how have I shown other people in my life that I appreciate them lately? And that will help me take my mind off of, of wanting a bigger house or being mad at not having a mountain view. But those are two things I think um, that personally I, I use both of those tactics when I start to feel down. And I'll tell you right now, I love Los Angeles. I, I so love it. It is, it is an amazing city. And I did not feel that way when I first moved there. And it's through using tactics like that that I have really, really been able to, to develop a genuine love for that city. Thanks, guys. That's your question. Can we do one or two? If I do lightning round, can I do two? All right, I think, I think Sean's saying two. If he's not, then uh, we'll, we'll be extra lightning E. Okay. Let's move on to the lightning round, Ryan. We'll, we'll hey, skip the preamble. <laughs> hey, Josh, you know what time it is? It's 
I don't know. I, I've, <laughs> it's half an hour earlier in Adelaide. <laughs> I'm figuring out the time zone, Joe. Howdy, what's your name? Uh, Demi. What is it, Demi? Demi, yeah. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Perth, from north of the river. Well, thanks for coming tonight. Thank you. Um, just a quick, again, thank you like everyone else has. I got introduced to your kind of stuff last year. I moved from a big three be- uh, four-bedroom house with a games room and a, well, a games room full of boxes and downsized to an apartment and uh, quit my job that I hated and stressed me out and made me miserable to follow something I was passionate about and now I've never been happier. So thank you for oh, that. Oh, that's awesome. to ask was something you kind of both touched on in the beginning and um, when I kind of changed houses and stuff like that we downsized from yeah two TVs uh, a desktop computer a couple of laptops iPads phones all of this technology um, and I'm very into my technology don't get me wrong I work in tech so um, basically what do you think is the most essential technology to help with minimalism like you know scanning photos and stuff like that but what is the most essential things that you guys use to help you not accumulate stuff it's a hair dryer, obviously. <laughs> Although, I think Josh blew... No, he blew his kettle up the other day. The, the other appa- morning. Apparently, the electricity... I'm still working this out, folks. Um, so here's the weird thing about essential technology, right? Um, the things that add value to our... Oh, the, Technology, they're like tools, right? Any, 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 any tool can be used. Like I can use a sushi knife to cut up really nice thin slices of sushi that's going to be delicious, or I could stab Ryan to death with that same knife. <laughs> it's up to me to determine how I'm going to use those tools. And I think the most useful tool for me is probably my smartphone. And part of me feels pained to say that because... It also is a dangerous weapon that I continually bludgeon myself with um, uh, because of social media or YouTube or just incessantly checking the news or whatever. And I've had to get really good at, at removing the stuff from my phone, making it, it's still a smartphone, but it's not that smart. It's like the least smart kid in the smart kid class. And, and what, I've, what I've learned through that, I've, and I've gone periods without it, I got rid of my phone for two months and realized I was depriving myself because I use it as GPS, I use it to get an Uber here, you know, I, I'll use it for these different things, but then it also has all of these other issues that if I'm not careful, I'll bring the, I'll bring the problems into my life as well. And then eventually it, it actually becomes a net negative. And so... Use your tools wisely, whether it's a, a knife or a smartphone. It's good. Um, I'll just give you my lightning round answer. Uh, that was my pithy answer, by the way. <laughs> oh, shit, I forgot it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> any piece of technology is just a tool. And a tool is only as useful as its user. Thank you. Shawnee boy. Ladies and gentlemen, podcast Sean hiding in the shadows. We love you, Sean. 
He is the man behind the minimalism. We're going to end on this question. I apologize to the folks who are in line, but they will eventually kick us out of this theater. And Ryan's been dragged out of too many places this year. <laughs> I tried to get them to drag him off a, um, a United flight. <laughs> they wouldn't do it. Terrible service. What's your name, brother? It's Jay. Uh, thanks for being here. Where are you from? I'm from here in Perth. Oh, nice. What's your question, man? Uh, well, I'll try and keep, uh, keep it brief. Um, basically, it's when you let go of something like a relationship, how do you deal with guilt that you might have about letting that thing go? So, so it, I mean, it really depends on what you mean by, by relationship, right? Because there are a bunch of different types of relationships, whether it's like a, a one-on-one intimate relationship, partnership, um, whether it's a, a close friendship, it could be a coworker, it could be an acquaintance. In fact, coworkers are often the hardest relationships to let go of because you show up tomorrow and they're still there in the <laughs> cubicle next to you. Man, I really should not have told off John yesterday. <laughs> um, there, there's a particular kind of guilt that is useful. Some guilt tells us that we did something wrong somewhere along the way. I've been in love twice in my life. Um, I'm currently in love with my partner. It's the best relationship I've ever had. But one of the reasons it's the best relationship I've ever had is I was in love one other time. And um, I learned a lot about everything that I totally fucked up in that relationship. Every relationship has an us box. And there's like a box in between the two of us. We're able to contribute to it. We're also able to get something from it. That should be a, a re- every relationship, friendship, whatever it is, should, be, uh, should have an us box. I should be able to give whatever I can give to that relationship, given the resources and capacities that I have. But I should also get something from it as well. Because if I'm just taking, well, then I'm a parasite. And if I'm just giving, I'm going to feel used. And so my previous relationship that was going really, really, really well. And then over time, I I realized, like, I'm not really, like, feeling this as much anymore. Um, I'm still getting something from it, but, you know, it's lost its shine or whatever. I wasn't sure what it was. And then only in retrospect, after the fact, that I realized I was continuing to take from that us box, but I wasn't replenishing my end. I would take and I'd give a little bit and I'd give a little bit less the next week, the next month, a little bit less, a little bit less, till eventually I was the parasite. I was just taking from the relationship and giving very little. And so did I feel guilt about that? You're damn right I did. And that guilt steered me toward where I am today to make sure that I don't repeat that mistake. Man, um, yeah, that was good, man. I, I, what I want to say is, is just because you feel guilty, it doesn't mean you're right. And what I mean by that is, uh, I have, I've had relationships where I've dumped so much into and it got to a point where I was like, oh, like this person does not want to fix this relationship. They want it. And for whatever reason, just, they don't want to fix it. And I have to walk away. And there are, I certainly would, you know will get a guilty feeling um, with some family members. I really, 
uh, felt guilty kind of um, just distancing myself. I didn't really like end relationships um, with family members, but I certainly distanced myself. And um, what I'll say is I, anytime I get that guilt, I hit it head on. And I've got to ask myself, like, why do I feel guilty? Oh, well, you, you know, they really need you in their life. But yeah, Ryan, you really did everything you could. And if I can say that to myself, like, I can, I can at least push through that guilt. And what I'll tell you is that I know, because I've seen it happen with, my, with some of these family members, is eventually, like, me being consistent and, and me being reliable, uh, you know, for going on eight years now, um, some of those family members have come full circle. And that's the best, the best thing I could have done was actually distance myself from them. But like my, my uh, I had a family member come up to me. Um, it was Halloween. We were like carving uh, pumpkins up at my cousin's house. And one of my family members came up to me. And I never thought they would ever be like, I'm so proud of you, man. And they came up to me and they, were, and they did. I mean, verbatim. They were like, you know what? I'm, I've been such a dick. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm really proud of you. And it's really, really cool to see what you've done over the last eight years. It took him eight years to get to that point. Or she. It was my uncle. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, just because you feel guilty, it doesn't mean you're right. I would challenge you to face the guilt head on and, and push through it. Don't go around it, but hit it head on and if you can look in the mirror and really say you've done everything, like there's, there's no reason for you to continue to foster that guilt. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get out of here, I just want to say thanks to the Astor Theater for having us here tonight, them and their great staff. Thank you so much for having us. And I want to thank one more person tonight, and that person is you. You know, Ryan and I, this is our eighth tour in eight years. And when we first started, we were just driving around in Ryan's tour bus. It's a Toyota Corolla. Dude, I still have that same car that's in the documentary, just so you know. <laughs> Love it. And uh, it's approaching, what, 300,000 miles? <laughs> it is. And... and we would just go around from bookstore to bookstore, town to town, coffee to shop to coffee shop, whatever, whoever would have us. Sometimes we wouldn't even announce to the coffee shop we were showing up. We'd just show up with six people and have a little tour stop. And um, now you all are here tonight. I mean, we're in a city this size, can fill up a theater like this, and we're just, I'll never take this for granted. I really appreciate you being here. And if you decide to leave here tonight with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here tonight, y'all. Thank you so much, Perth. The Minimalists. <laughs>